Welcome, my love, to the Living for Christ podcast. I'm your host, Anastasia, aka Anna Empowers, here to more deeply understand with you the rich fullness of God. Because when you understand your creator, you understand his creation, yourself, his world, all that he designed for you to be. God led me out of self-sabotage and insecurity and the new age deception by breaking chains that bound me to my past. And that is my mission here today with you to help you in him and in him alone break chains that bind you to your past, break chains of shame, of insecurity, of self-sabotage in him. So together we can be humbled and surrender to his glorious love and unleash the gifts that he willed for us to bring into his world for him and his glory, not for ourselves. He wants to guide you. He wants to pour into you. He wants to heal you like he's healed so many aspects of my life. When I didn't even seek him at first, God is so good, so patient, so perfectly loving. On this podcast, you'll receive inspiring stories and experiences and mistakes I've made all along the way, plus the unique perspectives of thought leaders on faith-based life and faith-based business so that you can amplify your faith in God's work in your own life. God wants you to store the unique gifts, talents, and ideas that he gave you. He sanctifies and clarifies your unique design the more you come to know and walk with him. God is the strength that I lean on every day to be made into a better steward, servant, wife, and woman for his glory. Hi, my love. Welcome to the Living for Christ podcast. I'm so excited for season two. So on the Living for Christ podcast, if you're new here, I'm your host, Anastasia, aka Anna Empowers, here to share and dive into understanding the rich fullness of God. Because when you understand your creator, you understand his creation, ourselves, yourself, all that he designed for you to be, for me to be. God let me out of self-sabotage and insecurity by breaking those chains that bound me to my past. That's what I teach on here, how to break those chains to our past, break those chains of insecurity and humble ourselves and surrender to his glorious love and unleash our own gifts that he's given us, that he willed for me to bring into his world for him and not for myself. He wants to guide you. He wants to pour into you. He wants to heal you like he did so many of my struggles when I didn't even ask him to at first. When I didn't even seek him yet. So God is so, so, so good. And on that note, I would love to just dive into today's topic, kicking off season two with another little bit of my story. So I mentioned in my original testimony video that I have so much more to share with you. I have so much more to my story and God is always working. God is still working in my life. So I have new things that have happened since then that I've noticed that God has pointed out to me that I really felt stirred up in my heart to share with you today. This video, this podcast episode is about my emotional journey, the emotional health, I suppose, for lack of a better word, my emotional well-being that he's really poured into. And I noticed just these drastic shifts in that I've been trying to make happen on my own 
for pretty much my whole life. Since I was about 12, 13 years old, I've been trying to improve my emotional well-being, improve my mental health, and heal myself from past traumas, from past wounding, and so on and so forth. So let's just dive into a little bit of that story here for you. Let me take a sip of my tea. My goodness, it's been a minute since I've done this. Ah, I'm so excited. All right. So I've mentioned here and there throughout kind of my social media presence and sharing journey that I've always struggled with big emotions. I call it sensitivity sometimes. I call it um, kind of emotional volatility now a little bit. I don't think I've ever called that here before. But that's really what it was. In retrospect, I was an emotionally volatile person my whole freaking life. (laughs) As a child, I think it's more normal to have big emotions, right? We're still developing neurologically and all of that. And coming from a neuroscience background, that makes all the sense in the world to me. And I taught that actually even in my inner child course called Nurture. I taught all about the different psychological stages of development for children and where things can go wrong and where things can go right and how we can look back actually on our story and now work on those things that maybe weren't given to us and things of that nature. I still stand by that teaching and I think that is important and helpful for us to learn. However, having tried to deal with that emotional volatility or sensitivity or big emotions or like intense um, empathy, whatever you want to call it on my own for so long, I can tell you I got nowhere and I thought I was getting somewhere. So let me give you just a little bit of a picture of what this sensitivity looked like. Some of you know the story of how my then boyfriend, now husband, same man, his name was Kevin, used to play rugby um, and how that affected me emotionally. So I'm not going to dive too deeply into it. I dove into it a bit on a podcast I did recently with my brother in Christ, Steven. So you can go check that story out there. And I dove into it on a live stream on Instagram. You can check that out as well. I'll link those down below after we're done here. Um, But essentially, I was so highly empathic, so like empathetic to people around me to an unhealthy extent. Like this was not a noble character trait. This was my then boyfriend would come back. We we were living together at the time, would come back home after a rugby practice or a rugby game and he'd have like a bruise or a little bit of a cut or a little scab or something on his body. And I would break down crying on the floor, on my knees, just bawling, hyperventilating, panicking over the fact that he came back with a little bruise. So completely disproportionate reaction, right? This is the kind of thing that I was experiencing regularly. That's just one small example. It was all the time. Um, And I understand sometimes we have these moments, right? We all have these moments of some, we're just like exhausted, we're hungry, whatever it is. We're just like on zero out of 10 on what we have left in the tank. And so little things can kind of trigger big reactions and that we're basically reverting back to a little bit of child psychology there of a state when we don't really have a lot of self-control. That was me pretty much all the time though. And I would constantly make excuses or I would say, this is just who I am. You know, that common excuse. I would tell my husband after, I don't know, breaking down, crying. I don't even know why. Most of the time in retrospect, I'm trying to think, um, I think I was just like stressed or 
I don't know, I wouldn't get the food I want. It was literally like toddler tantrum behavior. I would break down crying for, in retrospect, really no reason. And by the time it felt like the end of the world. One time he came home with a bunch of groceries from Costco. We had recently moved to a place where Costco was like around the corner to us. We recently moved to our first true house together that we purchased together. And he went to get some groceries. This was like maybe the day we moved in or the next day. It was really soon after moving in. And we're stocking up our home with groceries. He comes back and he bought this big tub of coconut oil from Costco in this like big plastic tub, right? And I break down crying, hyperventilating on the floor again because it's in plastic. And I use this thing every day now. (laughs) It really wasn't that big of a deal to me, but this was just like how I operated. I was on a nine out of 10 on emotions all the time. So if the littlest thing triggered me or upset me, it was a big reaction. It didn't matter. My reactions were never proportionate to what was going on. And my reactions were always big no matter what. So what did I try to do about it then? This is where the story gets a little bit interesting because I'm going to refute all of the things I used to believe in. I'm going to admit that I was wrong about all of the things I taught before, which I do often here now because Jesus has opened my eyes to truths that I was just blind to before. I just didn't know and I didn't realize. And now it's like I have a different set of eyes. It's like I look at the same things or the same people or the same practices and I see something totally different, just a whole new set of eyes and a whole new heart. I feel like a God has given me in Christ. So the reason that I came on here today and decided to share this was I was actually watching another coach share ideas that she's always shared that I used to agree with, that I actually used to admire and think I I wanted to learn from her. Um, And no shade to this person, like nothing about, I, I don't judge or condemn her at all. It's more that I can't believe how much God has turned me around um, on a totally different trajectory. So she was sharing the same ideas that I used to teach, the same ideas I used to believe in. And like I said, even admire things like, oh, we just don't give in to those negative feelings. We can just sit in them. We can just, um, it's normal. It's normal. The, the thing that the main theme that was being repeated over and over and over again in her work and in my work and really in the new age coaching space is the normalizing of big emotions, of big reactions, of feeling a lot, and of feeling often. Um, And I'm still for feeling. So it's not like I believe that in Christ we are now numb. Definitely not. In fact, I think he heightens the senses. Um, Or that in Christ we are always peaceful and we never feel negative emotions or any kind of emotions. But when I came from emotional volatility, right, I just painted this picture for you of completely disproportionate reactions. And this happened often. This happened all the time, Uh, though I always made excuses for it. And I would say to my husband, like, this hasn't happened in a long time, has it? And he would look at me like, well, it has. He's so patient. He's so gentle. Um, And I thought that I was making all this progress through the coaching I was receiving, the coaches I invested in, the books I read, all this stuff, right? And all this stuff that I learned and was also teaching, the shadow work, the normalizing of these emotions, the not only normalizing the emotions, but normalizing the 
piece of me that not triggered those emotions, but was triggered, I suppose, by those emotions. Um, the piece of me that was acting out. I'm just, I'm feeling so embarrassed, honestly, in retrospect, about how I operated and how I felt and how I reacted in my marriage and how I treated my husband and how I treated my family. And I really thought this was how I was supposed to be for the rest of my life. This was just who I was, right? That I was just an emotionally sensitive person. You hear this narrative online and all over the place, honestly, of, emotional sensitivity, highly sensitive people, that being a superpower. And that was the narrative I actually walked with. I was like, actually, my sensitivity means I just care more than other people. I feel more deeply than than other people. That means I can feel others' pain more deeply than other people. And that's just a like perverted version of the truth. God, Jesus does give us a sensitive compassion and heart for other people. Jesus loves other people more than anyone possibly ever could. He loves perfectly, right? So in that sense, he calls us to be compassionate and empathetic and feel for his people and do something about it. That's all healthy and well and good. What I was doing was living that in a perverted way where I couldn't even handle my own emotions. So my empathy ended up making the situation about me. Whether or not I made the person responsible in the moment is kind of beside the point. Mentally, I was more focused on how their pain was affecting me than their pain, right? And that's that's what's, that's the perversion. That's what's perverted about it is that it was no longer an empathy that was focused on helping the other person because I care about them, because I have compassion for them. It was an empathy that was focused on helping another person for my own sake, because I couldn't handle their pain. There's so much more to this. I feel like I could talk about this for days, but I will move on a little bit for the sake of time. So my emotional instability, I realize now in retrospect, was very unhealthy, was not just big emotions, was not just like, (laughs) that's the thing. I think that when I, when I wasn't in Christ, I looked for reasons that justified not only my behavior, but that made me feel like a good person. So I was constantly trying to prove to myself and others that I was a good person. This was another way that I did that. I was like, I'm actually better than other people. I am actually more caring than other people because of this quality. So I actually use this as an excuse for a sort of self-righteousness actually in, in my heart. Um, And in retrospect, I was so oppressed. I was so oppressed by my emotions. And it makes sense. I was tangoing with all this demonic stuff in the new age. I was channeling all kinds of entities. I don't even, I think, want to know at this point exactly what I was messing with. I was playing with terror. I was talking to to the other side every, every day almost. I was... Um, on Halloween, I would perform these rituals to talk to deceased loved ones, like all kinds of stuff. I acted as a medium for other people's deceased loved ones sometimes, depending on the circumstance and the event. I did that several times. And um, that was all playing with the dark side and opening me up to being influenced by those entities. So 
it makes sense that if I was playing with this stuff my whole life, this wasn't just even the past like 10 years in the new age, my whole life, this stuff was present in my home. My mom played with this stuff. I'm sure like my ancestors before her played with this stuff from what I have heard about our family. So this has been intergenerational for me. This open door to the devil has been intergenerational. So of course, we're going to have consequences to that. The thing that amazes me, the more, the more that I read the Bible, the more that I read the word of God, the more I see people acknowledging over and over again that, oh, this stuff that's happening to us, this oppression, this struggle is a result of sin in the world. This is mentioned over and over again by the people themselves struggling uh, and by prophets that when we become oppressed by something, it is a result of sin one way or another. And it doesn't necessarily mean like you did something bad and here's the consequence. It's a result of sin existing in the world in general. It could be ancestral sin. It could be simply societal sin that's just like at play in the world now. Uh, this is not a like strict works-based philosophy. In fact, it's that's very anti-biblical that if you do good, you receive good. If you do bad, you receive bad. It's not that simple. There's so many layers at play, but in a nutshell, it is sin and darkness in the hearts of humans that has led to this downfall in society, right? So anyway, it makes sense that if a family opens doors to demons, that they then will experience demonic oppression. And in retrospect, that's what makes the most sense to me. Um, and I can talk a little bit more, I think, in another video about exactly why I think that. In a nutshell, it's the experiences that I had. It's the things that I saw. It's the dreams that I had over and over again that really showed me the types of beings that were at play in my life and how now I feel emotionally stable, how now I haven't had a breakdown like that maybe ever in the last, what is it, four months, five months almost, maybe longer. Um, yeah, I just... I live a totally different emotional life. And again, that doesn't mean I'm free of anxiety, free of fear. Christ doesn't promise us a life free of suffering. In fact, he tells us explicitly that we're going to experience suffering in this world. And then we're going to experience suffering because we're his followers as well. Those are kind of two sides of the same coin. However, it's the way I walk through suffering and the the emotional turmoil that's now absent in my heart. It's like this newfound firm foundation. It's this newfound stability I have walking through life. Um, whether big things or small things so far, luckily in the past like five months, I haven't had anything too big. So I'll let you know as life goes on how that unfolds. But overall, like I haven't broken down on my knees like that at all in the last four or five months. I've cried. I felt, I've loved like all those emotions are still there. They're just healthy. They're just healthy. Something touches my heart. I'll tear up a little bit. I'm not going to break down and sob and hyperventilate on the floor. Praise God. If something upsets me or hurts me, I'll cry a little bit. But again, I like have my head on my shoulders squarely for the first time in my life. Praise God. And okay, I'm going to get into a little bit more of what I have to share on my my journey with that but I want to see in the chat if there's any questions you have for me before I move forward 
Thank you for your support. Okay, I'm going to move forward. So I hear women in the new age and in the coaching world, and those are very heavily intertwined, right? That I used to be in. I used to be in this world. Um, I hear them constantly talk about the big, low energy, low vibe emotions that come up in business and in general as those being normal, right? We talked about how that's what I used to believe and that's what I used to teach and how that used to be even less sort of remedy in my mind for dealing with them. Um, And I used to teach that and normalize these unpleasant, painful parts of ourselves, normalize like the demons within and make friends with them. Oh my goodness, I was so wrong. And the other side, with Jesus in my life, I'm emotionally stable for the first time ever. And at this time, before I started following Christ, right, I used to invest in coaches repeatedly to help my business, to help myself, to help my growth, and invest in more communities, more coaches, more programs. And these communities would repeatedly normalize these feelings that I had, these experiences that I had in my business and in my heart, this volatility, this up and down constantly, emotionally and in my external life. My life was chaos, y'all. I... (laughs) I felt like I was constantly playing catch up with my life. You know how that feels? Like I always had something going on and I always had something dramatic going on. I always had something going wrong, but then going right. And it was literally a roller coaster. Um, And it was so heavily normalized in the coaching communities I was in that I was like, okay, it's not just me. It's normal. This is the way it's supposed to be. It's not the way it's supposed to be. We are told we're going to experience struggle, but we're not told we're supposed to experience chaos. Chaos is the result of sin, is a result of the devil, it's a result of not God. God is order, God is clarity, God is stability, God is firm. And once I found him, that's when I realized all those things. So I'm not against investing in a coach, right? It's just that the answer is not to invest in more coaches or more communities to normalize big feelings and normalize chaos in your life, in your business, and not to like reframe all these, all these feelings in a different way. The answer is Jesus. And Jesus is not some magic potion or some magic pill that's going to fix everything in your life. Jesus is going to stabilize and improve the health of everything in your life and in your character. That's the major thing I'm noticing in my walk with Christ is he changes my character. I see things differently. I react to things differently. And my motivation is different. My motivation is now to grow in how I represent him, grow in my relationship with him, grow in how I serve him in the world. It's not to feel good. It's not to feel better. It's not money. It's not to build a legacy. Like my motivations have changed. And I think that's a major reason of why I feel differently and why I I react to things differently and why my heart has changed. Right. So I'm not against you investing in a coach. I'm a coach, right? I'm now a faith-based coach and I have, and I do invest in coaching and therapy and outside support from people, y'all, not just from God. But without God in the picture, without Jesus, I had what I now realized was a dependency on that world, was a dependency on outside support, um, which is so unhealthy. It was an addiction, honestly, in in retrospect. 
when you and I have Jesus, all we truly need is Jesus, right? The Bible tells us this. We hear this over and over again in the Christian world that Jesus is all we need, all we need. If we strip everything else away and you have Jesus, that's all you need. However, we still get to have other things. If we if we want outside support, we want community. Like these are all things that Jesus calls us to. Jesus calls us to be in community, to gather together, to edify each other, um, to mentor and support each other. These are all beautiful, godly things. However, it's when we become dependent on those things and addicted to those things. Basically, we start to idolize people or programs or industries or money um, in our lives. That's when it turns dark. That's when it turns unhealthy. That's when it becomes harmful rather than supportive. And that's what I was doing, right? When we go tens of thousands of dollars in debt, which I did, which I know, honestly, countless women who have done this because that's what the coaching industry teaches us. They say, invest in yourself, use debt to your advantage, like all these kinds of things. God doesn't want you indebted to anyone or any Thing. God is here to liberate you, to liberate you from spiritual debt, from financial debt, right? He is here to set you free. Um, and again, I'm not preaching the prosperity gospel that if you find him, you're going to magically like get rid of all your financial debt without any responsibility on your part that he's just going to like wave, wave a magic wand and make that go away and give you lots of money. That's not what God does. Uh, I want to make that crystal clear. However, he does not want you indebted. In fact, he says throughout the Bible not to swear on things, not to make deals that you can't uphold, (laughs) to really enter a covenant relationship with him and not with financial institutions. So anyway, when you start investing tens of thousands of dollars that you don't have, going into massive debt to keep coaches around, to keep communities around you, if you have to pay for communities over and over and over again to get support that you think you need because your emotions are so big and overwhelming, because your business is getting overwhelming, you don't know what to do because life feels chaotic, and you think this other program, one more program, one more coach, this community space, this membership, whatever it is, if you think that's the solution, that's where we start going downhill. That's unhealthy. That's dependency. That's idolatry. That's addiction. That's what I was doing. I invested about $30,000 in just two, three months at the end of last year in stuff like this. Because that's what the industry teaches, because they propose their coaching, their services as solutions to your problems. And not to mention, they teach investing yourself over and over again. Um, And again, these in themselves are not bad. That's why they're so tempting, right? The devil's main playbook is to give you half truths, to tempt you with something that sounds appealing because it's true in part. However, there is a massive consequence on the other side. So that's what I was learning, that while investing in yourself and your future and your growth sounds good, I was investing in the wrong place. I was investing in people who didn't have Jesus, so they couldn't strengthen my relationship with him either. And they would lead me in a different direction, in like a secular new age direction. And I was not investing in my relationship with God because I wasn't all in on him yet. 
So as a result, these investments, these pursuits proved fruitless. God tells us that the fruit is in him. God tells us that we need to abide in him to bear good fruit. God tells us that the good fruit that we all want, peace, joy, love, I don't know, all the fruits of the spirit, somebody help me, Um, peace, joy, love, faithfulness, self-control, gentleness. I think I'm missing one or two. The fruits of the spirit are what we all want. Patience is another one. And those fruits are in the spirit. Those fruits come from abiding in Jesus and surrendering, giving our lives to his spirit, for his spirit to work in us, for his spirit to work in our lives and through us for other people. That's where that fruit that we're looking for, the joy, the happiness, the uh, peace lies. And again, you're not always going to be happy and peaceful in Jesus. You're going to feel other emotions, but there's this stability beneath them. There's this hope beneath them. There's this faith beneath them that prevents all that volatility. Like if you read the book of Lamentations, if you read the book of Job and Ecclesiastes, in these books, you see people struggling with big emotions. You see people struggling with massive suffering. A life with God is not a life without suffering, but A life with God gives us a firmer foundation on which we can bear suffering. He still allows and expects us to grieve and mourn and be heartbroken and be sad and all these things. And that happens and that's healthy. But it doesn't feel like chaos. That's that's the main thing I have learned is that in God, even when things go wrong or awry or something unexpected happens, you know that there's an order to the universe. You know that God is in control and that hope and that faith is the firm foundation in Jesus that we get to stand on, knowing that in this suffering, God has a plan, that God is sovereign over everything. And that even though I don't understand it and I'll never understand the full mystery of God, that I have that foundation, that faith to stand on, that he's got this and he's in control and he's good and he's loving and he's faithful. So whatever plans he has, I hire than my own, right? It's that faith that stabilizes us emotionally. All right. I have a couple more things to get through. Let's see. Anyone has any questions? No. Okay. Move forward. So the other thing that I really focused a lot in the new age world, in the coaching world, and I still see a lot in the coaching world, is this idea, it kind of goes hand in hand actually with shadow work, this idea of projection. The idea is that when something triggers us about another person or when something we see in another person we don't like and we have a negative sort of like feeling in ourselves, so whether it's a big emotional reaction or it's just some kind of like negative feeling, um, that that's because we see something in them that's in ourselves that we don't like about ourselves. And again, that's a half truth. We see this in the Bible, right? We see this in, I believe it's in Matthew. I'm still memorizing scripture, but I believe it's in Matthew where Jesus says, um, take the log out of your own eye first before taking the, I don't remember if it's like a stick or splinter or something along those lines out of your brother's eye. 
right? That when we see, when we judge, when we condemn something in somebody else, it can be a reflection of something we hate about ourselves. It can be a, a, not a conviction, but yeah, like a triggering, a bringing up of something within ourselves that we don't like. It can be a projection. It can. However, not everything is a projection. And what I see repeatedly in the new age coaching world is people issuing responsibility, rejecting self-responsibility because anything somebody may have to say about them that they don't like is a projection. And that's kind of the world I lived in. That's the way I operated where it's pretty much impossible to take constructive criticism if you think that every every piece of criticism is really a reflection of their own issues, of their own like self-judgment and shame. So something that has really been standing out to me lately is not everything is a projection. Not every emotional reaction or trigger you experience requires you to dig around your heart and figure out where you've been wounded in the past and figure all that out. That is exhausting. And that's what I used to do. And even when I stopped being so mental about it, even when I stopped having to figure out a why for everything, I still operated that way that, okay, if I'm triggered, that means like, something is going on inside of me. That means something from my past is rising up. I got to go and do shadow work. I got to figure out um, like how to quell this emotional reaction. And I was constantly trying to get out of emotions. Again, this is something you learn in therapy and in the coaching world that you want to just sit in them. You want to just um, be with them. All of it is still with the goal of getting out of the emotion, of battling with the emotion and of going into your past in some way, whether you consciously do that or like you do that later, the underlying belief, no matter what, even if you don't end up doing it, like going into it consciously and looking at it intentionally, the underlying belief of that theory is that something from your past is always coming up. And um, it's, it's this wound that's bleeding from your past. And that's why you're being triggered. It's not always the case. I realized sometimes it is a conviction from the Holy Spirit. Sometimes when you, if you have the Holy Spirit, right? If you are a child of God and you are following Christ, sometimes a negative reaction, although again, I don't have this like disproportionate reactions anymore. So it's more just like a feeling in my gut. It's more just like, oh, that makes me sad. Um, is a conviction, is a a godly sorrow. So I believe it's, don't quote me on this. Corinthians? Or maybe it's Galatians? I'm sorry. So <laughs> I guess I'm memorizing scripture better. But somewhere in the New Testament, uh, Paul writes about godly sorrow versus, I don't think he calls it worldly sorrow, but basically not godly sorrow. So godly sorrow leads to repentance. Godly sorrow are is a an emotional reaction that mirrors God's emotions on this topic. So for example, if um, you, I don't know, if God convicted you against secular music or something, this is just, don't come for me. I'm not saying everyone just stop listening to secular music, but if you have a conviction around it or alcohol or something, if God convicted you around alcohol and knowing this, you, you just like felt this pull towards alcohol and you took 
a drink, you had a drink, um, and you feel bad about it. It's not necessarily that you feel ashamed. To me, shame is different. Shame feels different. Shame is like, I want to hide this. Shame is, I don't even want to look at God. Shame leads to hiding and shame leads to isolation, whether from God, from other people, both. Shame leads to isolation. This is like a godly sorrow and repentance, a godly sorrow that leads to repentance, as Paul says, that we feel bad and we go to God and we 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 tell him we feel bad and we tell him we don't want to do it anymore and we ask for his strength and not doing it anymore and things of that nature, right? It leads to wanting to change. It leads to wanting to change our behavior. While because our society has such a like half-truth backwards view of emotions and dealing with emotions and wanting them to go away, like bad emotions are bad, <laughs> that sort of thing. And even in the new age community where bad emotions are not bad, but they're pointing to something like wounded in you. So by that nature, they're kind of bad. Right? That means that there's a problem in you. They're pointing to a problem. They're pointing to a wound. They're pointing to a trauma. Um, so in that sense, they're kind of still bad, even if you're you're trying to get around that idea. That's what I was doing. So when we have that view of emotions, of sorrow, of sadness, of any convicting emotions like that, we are not going to get to the point of repentance. What I see over and over again is we feel the sorrow and we feel next, not repentance, but self-pity. And that just leads us to continue the cycle. Oh no, I'm feeling sad. This feels horrible. I hate it. I'm I'm suffering in this sadness. Um, Woe is me. And I'm saying this as somebody who used to do the same thing. That, for example, when my husband would call me out on these tantrums, I was having, sometimes he would even use that word. And sometimes he wouldn't. I would break down crying and say like, how dare you? You don't accept my big emotions. This is who I am, right? It's all about like accepting our sin as this is the way it is. This is the way I am. And in this case, like emotions aren't necessarily or aren't at all sin themselves, but it's what the emotions and the chaos led me to do, how it led me to lash out at my husband, how it led me to speak to him, how it led me to just like reject his emotional experience, even though I didn't think I was doing any of these things. If I talked about this with a friend, I was always right in their eyes because of the way I conceived of it. I I wasn't seeing the full truth. I was only seeing here. Like my, my vision only went this far because I was blinded by my own emotions, by my own beliefs, by my own false views of the world. Right. So not everything is a projection and that's how I treated it. That also meant, and I tried to find a way to teach against this because I knew it was wrong. So I was like, okay, how do I get around this idea, but still stand firm in my worldview? And I couldn't honestly, because my worldview was faulty. My worldview was a deception. But this idea that if every emotional reaction or a piece of hurt feelings is actually a reflection of a wound within us, then how can we take any personal responsibility for hurting someone else? It's really hard, isn't it? I tried to find a way around it. I was like, no, we're still responsible for being good people. 
um, and loving and compassionate. And at the same time, a trigger is a past wound reopened is what I taught, right? But make that make sense. I was all about holding paradox, right? Holding things together that didn't make sense. But honestly, in retrospect, it was nonsense. And again, that's a half truth. There are paradoxical qualities of God, for example, or theological truths. My my church recently um, led a sermon on the idea of predestination and that God is sovereign over all and predestined everything. And at the same time that we have free will. And those are difficult truths to hold together, yet they're both entirely true biblically. Or the idea of God being full of grace and God being fully just and righteous and about upholding truth. One is convicting and one is permissive in a sense, but he's never permissive. He's gracious, but he's never permissive. And so he is always both. So there are paradoxical truths in this world, in God, in theology, all over the place that we are supposed to hold together in this sort of tension. And it's, and it's difficult for us and difficult for us to understand. So again, that's a half truth. The fact that holding paradox is a sign of spiritual maturity is true. And the paradoxes that I was trying to hold were not, were not truth. Well, we're nonsense for me trying to fit together opposing ideas that actually don't go together, that actually are not both true in, in, in their entirety. So I was just so self-deluded, self-deceived. And part of the problem was this coaching world that I was in and bashing the coaching world a lot, but it's not, it's not any individual coaches. Like it's not a problem of individuals like being bad people. I was exactly like all of these things, right? I was teaching and perpetuating all of these things. It was a problem of being deceived, right? Of simply being blind, of not seeing the truth. And that's not really a a personal fault on ours. It was a, a lack of truth in our lives, a lack of following Jesus, a lack of relationship with God. I'm going to leave that there for now. And I will come back to this. So it became this downward spiral for me where I did this my whole life, right? I dug around my heart, figure out what was going on, where I was wounded in the past. And I taught that you have to kind of put the past to bed and actually revisit it in order to fully move on from it. Again, half true, sort of sometimes. That's not a blanket thing, but I treat it as a blanket thing that we all absolutely have to dig around our past in order to put it to bed, in order to fully let it go. And this idea of just moving on and not looking back is a false idea of really just like the past is still affecting us and still in the driver's seat in some in some ways when we're triggered, when we're feeling that weakness and we break down crying for no reason. Um, those, those points in our lives, the past is actually coming back and driving our lives and we have to go revisit it in order to put that to bed. Again, half truth, sometimes sort of. And I really lived, ironically, I thought I lived in this world of grace, but I lived secretly in a world of absolutes. I thought I lived in a world of grace, but I actually exhibited absolutes in my life, right? And when I came to God, one of the first things that was really challenging for me is this idea of black and white, this idea of good and evil, right and wrong. These were things that I taught against for years and years and years. I taught that there is no right and wrong, that 
everything is right, essentially, that uh, we're supposed to normalize our sin, our pain, like that everything is acceptable. Um, so in a sense, I have nothing is wrong. I, I lived in the world of subjective truth. I lived in the world of subjective morality. So one of the hardest things for me to come to grasp when I started following Christ head first was the idea of right and wrong. And that terrified me. I lived in fear for weeks, if not a month or and a half or so after I first gave my life to Jesus, because I then didn't know what to do with the dark, with the evil. What I had done before was make friends with it. And now I'm like, that's wrong. (laughs) So what do I do now? And I really, I became terrified of the dark side of the demonic, of wrong, of evil, because everything I had thought was true was not everything I had thought was true was a deception so a how can I trust anything within myself again how can I trust discernment how can I know some things from God when I was so deceived and b what do I do about evil now I had all these protocols I would sage I would literally hug and love demons quite literally like I there was one um the really messed up dark presence that started following me when I started working working with a specific client who had this attachment and he like started tormenting me and he was the hardest one I I dealt with um not the client the the entity he was the most difficult and just dark 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 terrifying just like uh what's the word sadistic entity that I ever encountered and my protocol then was to love it, to hug it. That my idea behind that was that it's just a projection, right? Not everything is a projection. It was the idea was that it's just a projection of some dark part of myself that I don't want to accept. Or in this case, some dark part of my client that he doesn't want to accept. Like it's nutty and not true. Uh, but that's what I would do. I would hug it, try to hug it. I would tell it, I love you, I love you, I love you, until it would go away. That's how I dealt with demons, y'all. So when God convicted me and showed me how deeply I was deceived and showed me what was true and what was right, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do because I thought I lived in this world of grace. When in fact, I honestly, like, I had internal inconsistencies in my worldview. I thought I lived in this world of grace, of subjective truth and subjective morality. And at the same time, I taught these absolutes of what we ought to do for our emotional well-being. That's the thing is when we're living in Satan's chaos, when we're living without God leading our lives, there is no order to it. There's no reason to it. There's a bunch of half-truths that when you try to fit them together don't work. So we have to make up more lies. We have to make up more deception to try to make it fit together. And that's what I realized now I was doing. Um, okay. I wanted to cover a couple more things, but I know our this episode is running long. So I did that my whole life, right? If you ask my husband, I would dig around my brain. I would like do all this stuff and yet nothing changed. If you asked me, I'd be like, I have changed so much in the last few weeks alone. I am nothing like I was last month. I am a completely new person. I have been reborn. And I literally taught a class 
called rebirth in my coaching world, right? I literally coached on the idea of rebirth and how we are constantly reborn. And that just makes me want to cry right now because I was so, I was so deluded. I was so deceived. I literally thought we could rebirth ourselves. That's what I taught. I taught that we could rebirth ourselves. And all this BS, all these lines. And again, I wasn't intentionally lying. Like these people in the coaching world, these people in the new age world, none of us are intentionally lying. We are just so deceived. And the thing about being deceived is you don't know you're deceived. That's like the biggest issue is I wish I could shake some of the people I used to be in relationship with in that world and show them the truth. And I can't. I can't single-handedly do that. By the grace of God, they may be shown the truth, but I can't single-handedly do that. I can continue to pray for them, continue to share my story in hopes that like other people's stories from New Age to Jesus convicted me, it may convict one or two people, hopefully more. Um, but I, I can't unblind somebody. God can. God can. And that's what he did to, to me by the grace of God, all this deception, all these lies that I was telling myself that I didn't even know were lies fell away. I stopped this downward spiral that I was on over and over and over again. I was like, I, I was like, I, I was in the same merry-go-round from hell. I was on this merry-go-round from hell over and over and over again. And nothing changed. You ask my husband because he could see the truth. Nothing changed, but I was so self-deluded that I thought I'd been growing leaps and bounds, digging around my brain, making friends with my demons. I literally had a program called Demonatrix all about taking control of and making friends with your demons. Uh, praise God that he pulled me out of that and I can now teach truth. So I want to reiterate that just because you give your life to Jesus doesn't mean your suffering goes away. My suffering, well, I don't know. Right now I'm not really suffering too much, um, but I know suffering will come uh, one way or another and suffering comes repeatedly in our lives. And that's just the truth of life. On this side of eternity, we, we experience suffering, we experience disappointment, we experience persecution, we experience judgment and pain and loss and grief. And I'm never going to teach that once you come to Jesus, all your problems go away. And I will teach a few things here. One, some problems might go away. Some problems God will just take from you by his grace. Like he took my depression before I even came to him. Like he took away my emotional volatility. Maybe it was demonic oppression. I don't know. I think it was based on what I had experienced, but whatever it was, this emotional volatility that had played me my whole life just lifted. Some things he will just take from you. Some burdens he will just take from you as long as you're willing to give them. And some burdens he is willing to work with you on. He wants your participation. He wants you, your action like I gave the example on a live stream on Instagram a few weeks ago, maybe a few months ago of when I was sick with COVID. And then I also had these like weird rashes next to my eyes. And then I also had like really painful periods, all this stuff, all at the same time. And I just kept praying for God to take it away. And he wouldn't, but he told me, okay, for your eyes, use oregano oil. <laughs> and I did, and it helped, right? So some things are like that where he, wants your participation. He wants to walk you through something and there's something in there for you. Maybe maybe it's some 
way to grow your character. Maybe it's some way to touch another person's lives. Maybe your story is there to help somebody else in this way. Maybe just by virtue of going to the store and buying oregano oil, you're going to encounter somebody that God wants you to speak to. There's a million different possibilities, right? God's ways are so much higher than ours for a reason. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's all-present, all omnipresent. Um, he's everywhere. So he knows a million and one things you don't, infinite things that you don't know about. So sometimes he wants your participation for one reason or another. And sometimes it's not something that he wants to take away. Right? Sometimes it's something that he wants to use for his glory. Sometimes, you know, if somebody has a disability or, um, I don't know, I can think of a million examples, you know, somebody has an illness or I'm trying to think of non-physical things. Let's let's say mental health problem, whatever it is. Sometimes it's not about getting you through it and glorifying God that way. It's not about freeing you from it, just like on his own, by his own free will, um, by his own sovereignty. Sometimes it's about you walking in it and God using that. So I will never preach about a world with no suffering and that, you know, you walking with God means you won't have suffering. You staying in God's good graces means you won't have suffering and you messing up is what brings suffering. No, 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 never. Um, but God uses everything and he does, he does help with suffering. And even if this is the thorn in your side that Paul had, right, that Paul wrote about in, goodness, I gotta, I gotta know my scripture. I believe Galatians. I believe Galatians. Um, but Paul wrote about how he has a thorn in his side. I believe it was metaphorical. It was like persecution. I'm guessing that he was writing about to God and or writing about how he spoke to God about it, right? And how he was asking God to take away this thorn in his side and ease his suffering, get rid of his suffering. And how God said, no, my power is perfected in your weakness. His power is perfected in our weakness. When we have struggle and we come to our knees and we bring it to him, that's when we're no longer holding onto it and God can work. It's not like God can't work if you're holding onto it, but God wants you to freely give it to him, right? God will never trample on your free will. So that idea of his power is perfected in our weakness to me, let me know if God has given you other revelations on this set of verses. But to me, it's when we're on our knees in our weakness, we are fully humble before him. We are fully surrendered to him in his sovereignty. And he, he can work because we've given it to him, right? It's that element of free will, freely giving him our suffering. And he can use it whether he uses it and doesn't get rid of it, but uses it for his glory, whether he uses it and and lifts it from you and that's how he wants to be glorified, that's up to him. And I will never teach that you, know, you won't suffer in Jesus. But your suffering does change in Jesus and you have a new type of strength and a new hope to lean on. And that strength is God and that hope is Jesus Christ. That is your new firm foundation in which you can suffer without that chaos, with a stable foundation beneath you, with stability, emotional stability through it.
and you can and will and should still feel and mourn and grieve and feel pain, right? And feel sadness and sorrow and anger. However, it doesn't overcome you because there is an overcomer who is stronger than that temporary chaos. The other thing about walking with God is you have eternity in mind. And so it's so much easier to go through temporary suffering, knowing it's temporary and knowing this world is not the end of it all. And knowing that you have an eternity to look forward to. That's huge. When I was in college, I read this book. I believe it's how to win at college, something like that. (laughs) I can look it up later, but um, I don't know. It's not what I would necessarily recommend. So I'm not going to put it down below. I don't think, but I was reading this book about basically being a a successful college student. And he, the author wrote about always having something to look forward to, always having something on your calendar for the week or the month that you're looking forward to. And that will help propel you forward through difficult times in your academics. Like maybe there's just a lot of exams or a lot of work or I don't know, some other stressors in your life, how always having something to look forward to keep you kind of emotionally healthy and stable and able to endure. Paul constantly talks about our endurance, our persistence, our perseverance through persecution and struggle. And one of the things he constantly points to in the Bible is eternity. Keeping eternity in mind helps us endure and helps us not get lost in the chaos and helps make it so much smaller because in the context of eternity, one year, two year, even 10 years seems minuscule, so tiny. So it just helps stabilize our gaze, our, keeps our gaze on eternity, right? All right. I'm going to leave it there. I would love to hear what stood out to you, what you disagree with, what you agree with. This has been my first podcast episode back since season one, and I was a little shaky, I'm not going to lie, about coming on here and about what I wanted to share. I had all these ideas and they weren't really streamlined. So let me know if this touched you. If you want more solo podcast episodes like this, where I continue to share my story and my experiences and all of that. And I love you so much and I'll see you again soon. Thank you for listening, my love. I'm so grateful for you. And I hope you took something powerful away from today's episode. If you haven't already hit the follow button, so you never miss a new episode. And if this episode felt valuable to you, go ahead and leave a five-star rating and review on the Apple podcast so that other children of God like you can find this podcast so we can reach more people. If we haven't met yet, I would love to meet you. Go over to my Instagram at Anna Empowers and say hi, send me a message. I'd love to chat with you. Also head over to my website at AnnaEmpowers.com to dive deeper and explore both free and paid offerings God has been pouring through me to serve you so that you can ditch those shackles of conditioning and your past and step deeper into the stewardship God has called you too. Remember that God holds all the power. He created us to lean on him, not to do it on our own. He created you wonderfully and beautifully as an integral piece of his kingdom here on earth. So steward your gifts with purpose. I love you so much and I'll see you in the next episode.